Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. John Rappaport, veteran investigative journalist, a Pulitzer Prize nominee, and the founder of No More Fake News, will be here in Hour 1 to talk about the coronavirus, COVID-19, in our two, engineer, entrepreneur, inventor Brooks Agnew returns to the program. After more than a decade of trying to organize an expedition to the North Pole in search of an entrance into the inner Earth, Brooks is confident it's finally going to happen, and he'll be here with the details. In his series of blogs on the China epidemic at nomorefakenews.com, John Rappaport asks if a group wanted to stage a frightening epidemic, how would they do it? John Rappaport has worked as an investigative reporter for 20 years. He's the author of five books. He's written on medical fraud, deep politics, health issues uh, for newspapers and magazines of U.S. and Europe, including CBS Health Watch, Spin, Stern, and L.A. Weekly. John Rappaport, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Okay, Richard, it's great to be here after a long absence, and I'm glad we have a chance to talk. Yeah, I've missed you, and and I know my listeners have missed you, so it's great to have you back on. Thank you. This coronavirus pandemic, so-called, this really must tick all the boxes for you in terms of, well, I've been following your blog very closely, and uh, in terms of like a major psyop, and so many different things at play here in terms of, you know, who's pulling the levers. So let's talk about the pandemic fear and the impact it's having on the stock market. Yeah, part of the PSYOP is obviously the depression of trading markets, stock markets all over the world. Of course, when that happens, big players make hay because they have foreknowledge and so they can weigh in and do what's called shorting stocks which means they bet that they're going to go down, and then when they go down and down and down and down at the bottom, they buy, and then they make enormous profits. That is one of the things that happens. Another thing economically that happens is that many businesses and companies, because of quarantines and restrictions on trade and people staying indoors and so on, lose a lot of money, and so elite players and their agents can sniff out these companies, move in, buy them out, take them over. It's consolidation. It happens in every recession. And again, the rich get richer, the poor get poorer. So this is one aspect of it, the economic aspect. And then, of course, because I believe that all of these so-called epidemics are globalist psyops, The idea is to damage as many economies as possible because part of the agenda is we need to level out economies around the world, making them easier to take over. We don't want five or ten countries to be very, very prosperous and flourishing. So that's what happens in one of these uh, so-called epidemic situations. How much damage can they do? At one point, China was bragging about 10% growth, and by some estimates, just since the outbreak of coronavirus, that's been cut in half to 5%. But some economists are actually saying that, that even that's uh, a lie, that China is now in a deep recession. Exactly. So China is, of course, one of the holdouts, in a sense, in the globalist plan, because 
China considers itself the number one country in the world. They want to remain completely independent. They want to buy up as much land and business all over the world as they possibly can. They want to build up their economy and ship products as they do everywhere, become the number one exporter in the world. But at the same time, they're making lemonades out of lemons because they are rapidly building what they call these smart cities, which are gigantic operations. They used to be called empty cities or ghost cities because nobody was even there. And they can move in huge numbers of people by edict without having to go through any kind of red tape. And in these smart cities, you will have uh, 5G technology, the Internet of Things, artificial intelligence, wall-to-wall surveillance, monitoring of energy use and quotas, food quotas, travel uh, limits, and, and on and on and on. In other words, a more advanced form of Brave New World. So in that sense, they're okay because that was their plan anyway, and here is a very good excuse to not only continue it, but to accelerate it, which they are doing. So it's not all one thing or another for them. And people should be extremely aware of this. The general movement is called technocracy, which is engineering the world to make captive all the people of the world through technical means. And China is very aware of this. They're on the road to it. They've been on the road to it for some time, and they're speeding it up. There's the other level of the operation that you write about. That is immense amounts of highly toxic antiviral drugs that the pharmaceuticals will now peddle. You bet. These are very dangerous drugs. Some of them, or all of them, have the ability to stop not only the reproduction of microbes in the body, but the reproduction of cells in the body. They're extremely toxic drugs. One of them underwent years of conflict and trying to go public and be certified as safe and effective, and there were scandals around it and so on. Well, these drugs are going to be used by the ton to treat people who show nothing more, essentially, than a positive reading diagnostic test for this supposed coronavirus. That's exceedingly dangerous. And behind that, of course, is the rush to develop new types of vaccines that can be used, again, supposedly, against this coronavirus. I've written extensively about that. In a nutshell, there are two experimental vaccine technologies which could be approved on a rush basis. One is called DNA vaccines, and without getting into all the particulars, they permanently alter the genetic makeup of anyone who receives the vaccine. And that alteration occurs in unknown ways. This is straight out of the New York Times in, I believe it was March of 2015. The other type is RNA vaccines, and they have the potential challenge and adverse effect of causing what are called autoimmune reactions, meaning that the body basically goes to war against itself, which is also highly dangerous. So these are on the drawing boards, and there are, of course, 
companies and organizations and public health officials that want to see these new types of vaccines in the pipeline and released for public use, and this would be really a nightmare. Talk to me about the role of the World Health Organization in all of this, because the Director General of WHO comes from a very corrupt Marxist-Leninist authoritarian regime in Ethiopia. This is the guy that wanted to promote Robert Mugabe as a goodwill ambassador for the World Health Organization, and yet he's running this huge enterprise, which, by the way, is largely funded by U.S. taxpayers. Indeed. You're reading my mind, Richard, because you're, you're going down some of the points in the latest article I just finished writing here. The World Health Organization and the Centers for Disease Control in America basically run these PSYOP epidemic operations from the medical side. They announce the epidemics. They claim that there's a new outbreak. They report on the, quote, science. They name the disease. They name the always new and never-before-seen virus. They put pressure on countries who are recalcitrant and don't really want to go along with all of the quarantines and other advisories, and they can exert considerable pressure. And you have to remember that the World Health Organization is a branch of the United Nations, a fact which the mainstream press always manages to play down, because a lot of people understand that the United Nations is a fundamentally globalist organization that wants to extend the idea of one world rule from above, and these epidemics provide an occasion for moving closer to that. The Director General of the United Nations, of course, and I'm glad you brought that up, has been extremely complimentary of the way China is handling things. And so that's no surprise. China has now locked down 100 million people in one form of lockdown or another in many, many cities, not just three or four anymore. And there are various degrees of lockdown and so on, but that's what's going on there. In other words, the government says, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to quarantine all of these people to contain the spread. And then the World Health Organization comes along and says, this is wonderful. Uh, China is setting a beautiful example for the rest of the world, and we have to, uh, you know, give them great uh, kudos and applause. And between the lines, the subtext of all of that is, wouldn't it be a much better world if the whole thing ran like China's running things? That's what's going on here, and it's absolutely horrendous. And, of course, people who are buying what the World Organization is selling about the very nature of this so-called epidemic are nodding their heads and saying, well, you know, it might be brutal and it might be overreaching, but, yeah, we have to contain the spread of the virus. And so I guess uh, China is really doing a good job. Because that's the blueprint for the rest of us. Exactly. That's the blueprint that globalist technocrats want to install. They want to see a world of smart cities where you have, let's say, 
a trillion objects uh, connected to one another as if each object, anything from a refrigerator to uh, uh, a keyboard to a washing machine uh, to a toaster to a car to a house is all connected to the so-called Internet of Things and they're all tied in together and through 5G and automation and so on and so forth, artificial intelligence, you have essentially, and I know I'm skipping a few steps here, but I'll just get to the bottom line, a global energy authority which can monitor in real time from moment to moment the total energy production and usage of any individual group, nation, anywhere in the world, and therefore, quote, for the good of all, set energy quotas for every individual and country and so on and so forth. This is where all of this is heading. This is what technocracy and globalism ultimately want. It's interesting because people were up in arms about these smart meters, uh, and and I don't know uh, if this is true or not, but I'm I'm guessing that you know there may be uh, have been communities that that rejected smart meters, they didn't want any part of it, so uh, they may have felt that they they won a victory, but meanwhile, if if we're adopting 5G. I mean, forget about smart meters. These are smart meters on steroids. They'll be able to monitor every every um, watt Ooh, of a. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, this is good. I'm glad you brought this up. Exactly. Let's uh, name a few terms here: sustainability, smart meters, Agenda 21, the greening of the planet, climate change. All of these terms are really used, aimed at, and targeting the world population to move into this kind of brave new world that I'm talking about. And the rollout of 5G and the Internet of Things is all a fundamental part of this. Uh, The smart meters, as you say, are just one little element of the overall plan. So 5G, ridiculously, is being sold as now you can download a film instead of, I don't know, 10 seconds in in one second. Great. I mean, we're going to spend a trillion dollars or more or 50 trillion or whatever globally so that that can happen. Right, because what would we do without those nine seconds? What would we possibly do with those (laughs) nine seconds? Your toaster will you know, talk to the toast and make sure it's perfect. Your refrigerator will keep track of everything in it and automatically order new food once things start to run out. Your washing machine will do everything perfectly uh, through uh, uh, artificial intelligence, etc., etc. And all these devices can talk to each other and make sure that you are uh, utilizing energy properly and you're not overdoing it in one area or another, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, this is the this is the plan, this is the rollout, this is the vision that's happening. And so, again, for example, in China, 
this whole so-called crisis is actually accelerating China to move into that world that it is building and to populate it with untold millions of its own citizens who have no choice in the matter. It's interesting because we've, we've been watching these cities being built and wondering why they are, they're ghost towns and so now it makes perfect sense. First they build them and, and, and you build it, they will come. So now they have the excuse to herd, uh, these people into these cities and, uh, perhaps, you know, many will, um, Many will go willingly, and perhaps some will not. Uh, John Rappaport is here from NoMoreFakeNews.com, and you can read his um, voluminous blog entries there, NoMoreFakeNews.com. Uh, we're coming up on a break here, but let's just start to talk about the role of uh, the media uh, in this, because uh, they have been really the, the, uh, the tip of the spear in hyping this, uh, you know, clickbait and so forth and, and, uh, the, the coming pandemic and, uh, almost making it sound like the apocalypse is nigh. Uh, are they all basically beholden to the same people or are they, are they, uh, useful fools? What's happening? Mostly useful fools and robots. They go along with the prevailing authorities which in this case, Centers of Disease Control, National Institutes of Health, uh, World Health Organization, and the governments, of course, follow suit, and so so does the press. But the press, <clears throat> clickbaiting all the time, always manages to exacerbate the situation. For example, uh, governments around the world, and militaries in particular, have these pandemic scenarios tucked away that they have been cooking up for years and years and years. What are we going to do if suddenly a virus takes over and sweeps the world? How do we handle quarantines, lockdowns, rebellions, shortages of water, food, etc., etc., etc.? Because this is basically now a military situation. Martial law, emergency, etc., etc., etc. So now uh, they're pulling these out of the shelves and blowing the dust off them and presenting them to the press. Well, these are great stories. So the press begins to trumpet these. Well, in Australia, and I'm uh, paraphrasing an article now, governments may need to quarantine mass numbers of people in stadiums. Stadiums, outdoors. Um, shut down businesses, etc. Well, yeah, they've been putting this uh, these charts on paper for 20 years now, the militaries, and they're just pulling them out and, you know, all right, let's give this to uh, ABC and give that to NBC and so on, and let's, you know, because militaries are drooling over the prospect of being sent into cities to restore order and do all these things. So, yeah, the press, the purpose of the press is to hype all this baloney, make people afraid, make them want to follow orders, make them accept the portrait and the picture of what this epidemic is, which, as I've been detailing in uh, article after article, is totally false. I mean, down to the basics of the research in the labs and the viruses and all of that, 
It's a total hoax. We'll take a time out, John. When we come back, we'll talk about how they've staged this fake epidemic. John Rappaport from No More Fake News right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Where there's smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. John Rappaport is with us from nomorefakenews.com. Before we get uh, back to our discussion on coronavirus, tell us how we can get a, um, a copy of your Matrix series on uh, CD-ROM. Sure, you can just go to my website, nomorefakenews.com. You'll see the pictures and the graphics and so forth, and you can read all about these uh, very large collections of information about the Matrix, what it really is. And uh, getting out of it uh, a huge amount of information that I've accumulated over the years. And uh, you can also join our free email list and get my articles in your email box. So the idea that this was is a fake epidemic, uh, it's been staged. So let's walk through how that is done exactly. Yeah. This... This, for a lot of people, is uh, impossible to fathom because they're so uh, programmed to accept the virus as a given. So anytime anybody says it's a virus, a set of a whole chain of reactions goes off in the mind. My work over the last uh, 30-plus years, I guess, at this point, uh, more actually, has been to go under the surface and ask the most basic questions. Because right from the get-go back in 1987, I perceived that the virus was one of the most useful cover stories ever invented on the planet, meaning that it's used to cover up huge corporate crimes and destruction and destruction by governments through obvious means like stealing gigantic tracts of farmland from native peoples and turning them into corporate agriculture to export all of the food the people end up starving uh, these corporations build factories and plants that emit horrendous pollution killing people on and on and on and on and on the sewage runs directly into the drinking water. I've detailed this numerous, numerous times. So these have to be covered up. They have to be shoved deep into the background, out of sight. The press cannot make a gigantic ongoing issue of this. Verboten. How are we going to cover it up? Well, every time we need to uh, do this sort of thing, we'll just float the idea of a new epidemic caused by the virus, and everybody will stand up and salute hypnotically. So I began to ask questions like, forget, you know, uh, highly secure biological labs, forget bioweapons facilities, Forget stolen viruses. Forget all of this kind of chatter and blah, 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 blah. And let's go to the basic question of 
how do scientists actually discover a new virus in the first place? I mean, that's one of the most fundamental questions to ask. They say, well, we just found a new coronavirus in China. Yeah, it seemed like it took you maybe a day to do this. How did you do it? Right. We've never seen it before. Yeah. How do you even know to look for it? (laughs) Where to look? How to look? What's the procedure? What's the test? What do you do in the laboratory? How do you take the tissue sample from the patient? What do you do with the sample? What don't you do? All of these much more fundamental questions. And so I ask people as a sort of... uh, stunner to imagine this you got 50 scientists working in a biowarfare lab somewhere and they're intent on developing gigantic amounts of virus that can kill millions and millions of people and yet and yet they have no idea what they're friggin doing not even a clue by nature of their training their programming their education their medical school They are such true believers in the virus that they use completely inadequate, worthless, unreliable methods to claim that they've discovered a new virus when, in fact, they haven't, not even close. You talk about something called, uh, sorry, you talk about something called indirect markers that they use. Yes, indeed. They will say, well, we can't see this virus, of course, it's too small, and even if we could, we really don't. Ah, You know, it doesn't work that way. We're going to produce a series of indirect markers by which we can claim if we discover the markers in the body, such as the presence of a certain particular enzyme, for example, we can say, ah, there is going to be a virus, and it's going to look like this. It's going to be of this type generally speaking, and we can narrow that down and on and on and on. And that's how they operate. So God knows what they end up with, actually. And therefore, God knows what they're actually working on in the lab. We know what they think they're working on. Uh, And if there are any of them who don't believe in the uh, holy doctrine, they keep their mouths shut because their careers and and even worse, are on the line here. So that's where I began to actually really get down inside this whole fake science stuff because that's where you get the essence and the distillation of what a fake epidemic is because you could then say, well, you know, I want to see the kind of proof that I have figured out along with the people that I've consulted with. I want to see this kind of proof that you discovered a virus exists, a new virus, not your indirect markers. So can you show me the electron microscope photographs of these new viruses, not just taken from one patient, but hundreds of patients that you say are suffering from this new epidemic? And these photographs should all look about the same. And they should really depict what everybody would agree are definitely lots and lots and lots and lots of particles in these electron microscope photographs that are viruses. Can you do that? And then the answer is, well, we don't need to. We did it in one or two cases. Here's what we found. You look at the photographs. They're completely inadequate. 
and they dismiss you and they say, we've got more advanced procedures now, we don't need to do that, and blah, blah, blah. And then on top of that, and I've detailed all of this in my articles, the diagnostic tests, what are they? What are they used for? Well, they're used to say that patient A is now a case of the epidemic. I mean, how else are they going to do that? They have to run a test. And they say, ah, we have found another case in Thailand. Ooh, we found one in Boston. Ooh, we found one in London. Ooh, we found one here in, in uh, Taiwan, etc., etc., etc. Based on an independent marker that could be, could be or likely is totally unrelated to the virus. Exactly. I've even gone further into these types of tests, diagnostic tests, to show why they're totally inadequate and worthless and unreliable, each one. Therefore, when they talk about case numbers and how many countries are afflicted and affected and blah, 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 this is sheer hype, sheer promotional hype parading as science. And, of course, the mainstream press is completely unaware of this, so they just go along. Governments are completely unaware of this. Most scientists are completely unaware of this. It's one of these incredible, astonishing, astounding situations where only a few scientists have dared to blow the whistle and say, you've gone off the rails completely here in medical science research, and you can never get back on because you're all beholden to money big money, big pharmaceutical money, big World Health Organization influence that demands that new diseases are, and new viruses are discovered all the time and from time to time epidemics are uh, claimed to exist and there's no way out of this trap if you want to stay in the mainstream. This is what is happening. So when I say fake epidemic, that's what I mean. We're, com- we're coming up on another break here, John, but let's uh, address uh, this now and then carry on after the, the break, and that is how do they determine, and we'll talk about who they are, I guess, later as well, where this uh, outbreak will, will begin. Why Wuhan? Does that relate to, uh, I mean, you, you talked about how they want to use the virus as cover. Well, what's happening in Wuhan? Terrible air pollution, like most of China. Is that why they chose Wuhan? I think that is one of the reasons. Yes, absolutely. Terrible air pollution and uh, apparently Wuhan is a center of planetary 5G technology rollout. And of course there's a whole science uh, about 5G technology and the harmful health effects that it has. So therefore to cover that up, to cover the deadly air pollution up, Let's talk about a virus. Let's say it's all a virus. It's just a virus, folks. It's, you understand that. It has nothing to do with anything else. All right. We'll take another time out and come back. How to stage a fake epidemic with investigative reporter John Rappaport. No more fake news. Right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Stay with us. Listening to the Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. John Rappaport is with us. No more fake news.com, the website. 
and uh, be sure to check out his uh, Matrix series available on CD-ROM, a, a, a giant collection of uh, important information and how to escape the Matrix. And uh, we were talking about staging a fake epidemic uh, and why they chose Wuhan, because this is where they are uh, rolling out 5G. They have tremendous air pollution. And so suddenly you have uh, a population of potentially very sick people who have other uh, conditions related to their lungs, and etc., so then you create this fake cover story. Don't look over at here at the, the air pollution in the 5G. Uh, these people have a strange new virus called COVID-19. Uh, and yet there are people dying, in some cases collapsing on the street. What's going on there? Okay, well, the, the deadly air pollution is quite real, first of all. Uh, and so, is, so are the harmful effects of 5G if they're using it in the range of uh, 60 gigahertz. Um, I would say this has been pretty well documented. And uh, you could have tremendous effects on the nervous system of some people uh, at 60 gigahertz with 5G. So the harm to, we don't know how many people, because all the reports you see are up in the air. I mean, what are you going to, you know, who's going to be uh, reliable behind the massive lockdown? Oh, everybody's dying. No, they're not. And so that is another reason to start in China, because the people who run these PSYOP epidemics know that as soon as the lockdown happens, nobody knows anything. And all kinds of wild speculation can occur. And then after it's all over, they can say, well, it appears to us that 400,000 people in China died. So you see, this really was a gigantic pandemic. And fortunately, we managed to contain it before it spread to the rest of the world, blah, 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 blah. So that's another reason to start it, so to speak, in China. But the people suffering, uh, here's another aspect of this. This is not just air quality in Wuhan, this is air quality in major Chinese cities. And I want to emphasize this, unprecedented combinations of deadly toxins in the air, never before seen in human history in these cities. Protests, a number of protests by Chinese citizens under this brutal regime, nevertheless, out in the streets in these cities last summer and before, going back several years, protesting the air quality. Chinese government is looking at this saying, oh, we could look at another Tiananmen Square here. This is not going to happen again. We're not going to permit this. Well, how convenient. Suddenly a new epidemic caused by a virus and we can lock down 100 million citizens? No protests anymore? Fantastic. Wow. Terrific. It's ingenious when you think about it. Evilly, evilly ingenious. They don't have to go to the trouble Indeed. of creating a, uh, a weaponized virus in a lab. They just make one up. Exactly. Exactly my point. Why bother? Even And, and even if they say they have a weaponized virus. Who knows what the effects would be when they release this thing, whatever it actually is, out there. You know, we, uh, and here's another aspect which uh, 
uh, we don't have time to go into in great detail, but I've covered epidemic duds going all the way back, West Nile, swine flu, Zika, etc., 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 you know, where each time you, you see the same pattern, oh, this is going to be terrible, oh, this could kill 50 million people, oh, blah, 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 blah. And then you get something like in the case of SARS, 2003, which the World Health Organization still refers to as a very serious epidemic. Yet if you look at their own figures, they say that the SARS epidemic killed 800 people in the entire world out of a population of 7 billion. And in fact, in Canada, a microbiologist who recently passed away, Frank Plummer, who worked for the World Health Organization, told reporters in 2003, he said, I'm really puzzled because, uh, you know, we're not finding this virus, that this new virus that we discovered in these SARS patients. In fact, the number of patients that we're seeing who have this mm-hmm. virus is approaching that reminds, zero. That reminds me. Huh. Well, that's a, that they right. never found anything to begin with. Or if it was, you know, uh, something out of a lab, which some people were saying at the time, that it was a total dud. So the idea of we're going to release a weaponized virus out there and cause this gigantic pandemic, ridiculous. I mean, they have no idea first of all, what they're dealing with, really, in the lab, and two, what effect it would have, despite all of their claims. And as you say, it's much easier for them to cook up a completely fake epidemic in the terms that I described and push that on the population. So in a sense, it has been weaponized. It's a myth weaponized by the media. More of my conversation with John Rappaport from No More Fake News. Stay with us. Question everything. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. A few moments remain with John Rappaport from nomorefakenews.com. As you were talking about uh, the SARS uh, scare from 2003 and how one of the late virologists or uh, public health specialists was saying he couldn't find SARS in anyone. And this reminded me of uh, an article you wrote maybe a year ago, maybe a little longer. Uh, it was based on a report by uh, Dr. Peter Doshi, I believed, and it had to do with the the everyday garden variety influenza and the fact that it's the actual virus isn't present in the vast majority of people who they claim die from influenza. Yes, he wrote two reports. I believe both of them were in the uh, British Medical Journal online, and I've quoted them extensively over the years. Uh, they're just absolutely fantastic. Overwhelmingly, in the United States, and I presume in other countries, certainly in the United States, every year, many, many, many samples, tissue samples taken from uh, people diagnosed with the regular flu in the U.S. are sent to labs for analysis. And overwhelmingly, the percentage of these comes back with no sign of any flu virus whatsoever. <laughs> you know, so uh, therefore, most people uh, who are diagnosed with the flu don't have the flu. What do they have? What do they have? Even if you accept the idea 
of vaccination and what a vaccine is, uh, the conventional idea. Uh, you know, uh, unless pigs can fly, uh, this vaccine is not going to be effective against a flu that isn't the flu. So that was one of the bombshell reports that he issued about the flu. The other one had to do with how many people actually die of the confirmed flu in the United States every year. And I took part in that conversation sometime before uh, Doshi published in the uh, British Medical Journal. I was in real time going back and forth by email with him and a guy named Martin Maloney. And we were looking at the CDC, the Centers for Control's own statistics, own charts about flu and flu deaths in the U.S., which every year they claimed the same pretty much figure, 36,000 deaths in the U.S. Well, if you really started to break it down, uh, and I don't have the time to give you all the details, but we have the details, you would find that you couldn't really confirm any more, say, in the year 2001 than 18 flu deaths in the United States. Eighteen. Really Eighteen. Eighteen. As if opposed, you were to, as opposed to, to the average of... virus yeah. in these people who died, and if you separated out flu from pneumonia, because the CDC cleverly made that into one category called flu and pneumonia, which they would call flu for the purposes of telling you how many people died every year in the U.S. And they claimed they were able to say uh, pneumonia was, you know, a complication stemming from the flu, which is ridiculous because pneumonia has many causes, including polluted air. Um, this is how they rigmaroled their way into saying 36,000 people died every year from the flu. But if you broke this down and you separated out pneumonia from the flu and you started looking in 2001, for example, at the number of cases where they actually did confirm uh, the presence of the flu virus in flu deaths, you would come up with the figure of we can say that 18 people died of the flu in the U.S. Which is interesting. Now, uh, I, I just yeah. wanted to quickly ask you about D Donald Trump's, uh, President Trump's press conference the other day about coronavirus, okay. and he said some something very interesting about exactly that, about uh, how we're all focused on the coronavirus, but what about the flu? Yeah, indeed. Uh, and the piece has just gone up on my website about that. Um, people don't seem to get the joke, unfortunately, and the press certainly made very light of that but basically what Trump started off his press conference by saying was he said you know I just realized uh, and saw the figures on this that every year uh, you know he named some figure like 35,000 36,000 people die of ordinary flu in the US uh, which is of course straight out of the CDC but we have like 15 cases that we're saying are the coronavirus right now and aside from one guy, everybody seems to be doing just fine. Well, you know, and he just kept on talking about this for a minute with the obvious implication. Well, if this is all true, then why, how come the CDC hasn't been calling regular every year? A pandemic. I mean, can you imagine what would happen now if suddenly the press announced 
that there were 36,000 deaths from the coronavirus in America, the entire country would shut down. And yet the CDC is claiming that that happens every year in the U.S. from the ordinary flu. This is what Trump was sort of subtly uh, getting at and sort of like sticking an elbow in the ribs of the CDC while he was on the other side of his mouth claiming these are all very brilliant people and they're doing a great job. Boy, he's really going off script. He better be careful. Oh, he completely. I mean, you would never hear anybody in the sitting in the Oval Office talk about this, ever. And yet he just kind of, you know, casually mentioned it. Uh, this is one of the things that the press hates about him. Uh, whether you like him or not, I don't care. Uh, I'm talking to your audience now. But one of the things the press really hates about him is that they can't figure out what he's going to say next. He's not sticking to the script. And uh, just, I guess, in sort of summing up, how do you think then this is going to play out? Uh, are they going to... Are they going to stage a complete and utter uh, outbreak in in North America? Are they going to uh, make a mandatory vaccine? What's going to happen? You know, it's very hard to predict. I will say that as far as the the reaction in terms of governments, military potentially, and lockdowns, quarantines, et cetera, et cetera, all stemming really from the example of China, there's more of a chance, I would say, now than there ever has been for some serious kind of uh, crackdown, you know, on travel, movement, that sort of thing in, say, North America and, and in Europe than I've seen it before. I think, though, because each one of these uh, fake epidemics is really an experiment and a test and an exercise, that they do this gradually, epidemic by epidemic. And so what I'm sort of seeing at this point, at least, is, yeah, there's going to be more effects from this PSYOP than probably we saw in any of the other epidemic duds. Uh, But they're not going to completely claim that it's overrun the world. They're not going to take it that far. And uh, if they don't get the result that they want this year, they'll roll out something new next year or the year after? Well, that's that's, a given. Because in all of these situations, you should think of them as sort of like intelligence agency covert ops. And in any covert op, there's always an after report, sort of like, and it's confidential. It's kind of like, how did we do with this one? Uh, What were the effects on the population? How did they react? Were they completely passive? Was there any resistance? Uh, How did we do financially, economically? You know, all these kinds of things. And they use that as information for the next time where they hope to exert more control. So, yeah, that's my sense. Uh, This is another one and there will be another one and so forth. And as far as mandatory vaccination goes, it depends on where you are in the world. There will be some places 
where there's going to be mandatory vaccination when they roll out whatever it is they've got, which they're now saying could be a year away. Uh, I don't see this right now anyway as being, say, mandatory for everybody in the U.S. and Canada. But it could be one of these we strongly, strongly recommend, especially in people, uh, blah, 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 with this, blah, 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 or that, blah, 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 that they get this vaccine. This is very important. Well, as they keep rolling them out, you're going to be very, very busy, as you always are. John, always a pleasure and very insightful to talk to you. Again, I'll direct people to nomorefakenews.com. Make sure you pick up a copy, a CD-ROM copy of the Matrix series. Thank you so much, my friend. Thank you, Richard. It's been a pleasure, as always. Brooks Agnew is next to discuss the North Pole Inner Earth Expedition, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us.